Hey y'all, this is Charlie. We are living, loving, laughing in grace. And thank you, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ for joining me here today. I, uh, I so look forward to our time together. And before we jump into the word, I want to encourage you to do something real quick. I want you to think of something good that has happened to you today. You know, maybe your day has just started in the wee hours, but there is always something good. Something good that we can give thanks to the Lord from. And the Bible tells us to enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts and praise on our lips, my friends. And praise in our hearts and thanksgiving on our lips because really it's one and the same. So I just encourage you to think of something good that has happened to you today. And even now, just thank Jesus for it. Jesus, thank you that I woke up and it was such a bright, shiny day. Thank you, Jesus, that I woke up and it was raining. <laughs> I love both, so I thank him for both. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm, I'm out enjoying a walk with my dog. Thank you, Jesus, that, that I, I have a job that I get to go to. Thank you for my family. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you are with me. Amen, my friends. We can always thank Jesus for his presence with us. Hallelujah. Do you know that that is a gift we have in the new covenant that they didn't have in the Old Testament? Right? Because the presence of God could not indwell man until Jesus Christ, God himself, had shed his perfect, pure blood. It was only his blood that is pure enough that could cleanse us so thoroughly from the inside out that we have now become the holy temple of God himself, that his very spirit can dwell in us, that we can know. We have the guarantee, the Bible says, that you have been sealed for the day of redemption and Jesus Christ himself is dwelling in your heart. Hallelujah, my friend. Oh, amen. I'm giving thanks. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for being here with us now. Thank you that you paid the price so that you could enter into our life. You could enter into our hearts, that you could bring us the good and wonderful, abundant life that you designed us for all along, Lord. And we are just so in love for you, uh, with you. We, we want to receive of your love for us. We want fresh revelations and understanding of who you are and your goodness and your grace and your truth. We want to receive all of your wisdom, all that you are, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, my friends. So um, today we are going to be talking about something that I've, I've actually, my, just in my own experience, found there to be quite a bit of confusion about in the body of Christ. And before I tell you what we're talking about, I want to I want to give you a little tip, right? A really easy way. It's so funny. I can't believe I went so much of my life without no, uh, realizing this. An easy way for us to tell if something is from God, if, if something's of God, if something is God's will. And how we know is there's three places that we can look, my friends, that very clearly will show us is this something that is meant to be in my life? Is this something that God would do to me or give to me or not? The first place, my friends, that we can look is the garden. We can go back and look 
to paradise, right? The period of time from when God created the world before man rebelled, before Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and rebelled against God, that period of time is also referred to as paradise. And that, my friends, is the only period of time on the earth so far where everything on the earth was the way that God created it, that he made it, where we see his design and his purposes. Because after man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after he rebelled against God, he let sin into the world and sin brought with it death, my friends, death in all of its forms. Not just that final form that we think of when, when your body, you know, you give up your life here and you either enter into eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell. But all the forms of death came in with sin, my friends. That means aging. There was no aging before man's sin. There was no sickness. There was no disease. I'm getting so far ahead of myself as I always do. There was no strife or quarreling. There was no poverty. Listen to the way that God had made the, the world, my friends. It says in Genesis 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow, every tree as pleasant to the sight and good for food. My friend, every tree was, was basically saying was beautiful to look at, and wonderful for food. That was God's idea. Amen. So we can look at the garden. We'll, we'll get more into that. We can look at the garden and see what was life like before man fell, right? We can look at heaven. What is heaven like? Because heaven is where God's perfect will is in action today. And we can also look to the cross. We can look to Christ's sufferings. We can look to what he did at the cross and see, is this something that he suffered? Because everything he suffered is something he took on himself to redeem us out of it. Which means it is not God's desire for you. Right? What is the, the easiest one we can look at? Sin. In the very beginning, there was no sin in this world. There was no sin in the garden. There is no sin in heaven. In God's presence, there is absolutely no sin. And what did Jesus take for us at the cross? He took all of our sin. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. My friend, what's another one? How about sickness and disease? We already talked about it. In the garden, before man fell, there was no sickness or disease. There's no sickness or disease in heaven. The Bible very clearly tells us that. At the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement of our peace and well-being was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed and made whole. 
Isaiah 53 verse 5. And before that in Isaiah 53 4 it says that he took upon himself our pains and our sicknesses. So we can look at the cross because Jesus took our sicknesses and our pains. Because Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that ours can be put back together. Because the Bible declares that by his stripes that the only reason he took that lashing was so that we could become healthy. We know that sickness and disease and death is not of God. He paid the ultimate price to redeem us from it. Amen. And we have talked a lot about those over the last few years, but today what I want to talk about is shame. Have you ever considered whether or not shame is actually from God or not? Because I have heard Pastors, unfortunately, not my, not my current pastor, but in the past, I have heard pastors preach that shame is from God, that shame is a good thing, that shame causes us to lead moral and holy and good lives. So if that's true, then we should see shame in heaven. We should see shame in paradise. And Jesus should have left us to our shame at the cross. But he didn't, which is what we're going to see. In fact, I find it just captivating that at the end of Genesis chapter 2, the very last thing, right? Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is where the Lord is telling us about creation and how he created our world and how he created us. And my friends noticed it took two chapters to tell us about creation, something man has poured countless hours into studying. And there's nothing wrong with studying creation, my friends, or, or studying nature, but we give it such a high value. We rely, right? And when I say we, I mean as, as natural human mankind, we constantly try to rely on creation for the answers that we need, the health that we need, right? Something that God gave two chapters to, and yet he spends the whole rest of the Bible describing to us our redemption, showing us the redemption plan he had already, because he knew by chapter three, we blew it, <laughs> my friends. Two chapters on creation, chapter three, we blow it, and the rest of the Bible is God wooing us back to him through his redemption plan. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is a love letter that shows us what our God, our creator, is willing to go through to save us, to love us, to bring us back to himself. My friends, just like our theme of the year, Jeremiah, that we get from Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you from the very, very beginning. And even before that, my friend, God so loved you. He so loved me that he already had this beautiful plan of redemption for us. Hallelujah. Amen. I've already got myself down a buddy trail. Where were we going? Oh, Genesis chapter two. <laughs> 
That's right. So Genesis chapter one and two tell us how the Lord created this world, my friends. And listen to how Genesis chapter two ends. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. My friends, marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is a beautiful gift given by the Lord to maximize our pleasure and our fulfillment. Hallelujah. As when we make it all about ourselves, right? And forget that the Lord is the one who brought about this whole beautiful thing called marriage, my friends, that it becomes stressful and toilsome and burdensome, just like anything else we try to do in this world apart from Christ. No, you cannot have a successful marriage without Christ, just like you cannot have a successful career. You cannot have success in your body. You can't have success in anything apart from Christ. The beautiful, great good news is that because Christ is with you, you can expect to be a successful person. You know, the Bible says that of Joseph in Genesis when he was a slave. He owned nothing. He had just been sold as a slave in a foreign country where he had no family, no friends, no relations, no hookup, no, no bank accounts, no nothing. It says that he was successful because the Lord was with him. It wasn't his circumstances that made him successful, my friends. It was the Lord with him that made him successful. But because the Lord was with him, his circumstances then did become successful. My friends, whether your circumstances are showing it yet or not, you are successful because the Lord is with you. I want you to declare that with me right now. Say, I am successful because the Lord is with me. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to we're we're at some point going to start our topic for the day. So it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife and were not ashamed. How very interesting that of all the human emotions, the Lord could have ended Genesis chapter 2 with he chose to tell us that they were not ashamed. He could have said they had no fear. He could have said they had no depression. He could have said they had no stress. He could have said they, they, they had no sadness. All of those things are true at this point. But what God chose to highlight to us is that they were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Again, I tell you, my friends, Shame is not from the Lord. Shame is a heavy burden that will push you down and keep you down in that sin, keep you down in that trouble. And that's what it does, not set you free from it. And that's exactly what we're about to see. Listen to this, my friends. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. The very next word is now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. That's how chapter three starts, my friend. But you know, in the original, there were no chapters here. So it would have ended. It would have said that the man and his wife were not ashamed. 
And it goes right on to say, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And I'm going to tell you what he's going to do, my friends. His, his endeavor is to bring shame. He brings shame to Adam and Eve. And that's how he separates them from God. Shame separates us from God, my friends. It does not bring us closer to him. And that is why it is imperative that we understand that it's not from him. As I'm going to share with you more from the scriptures, that you'll see that in the Bible. And this is the testimony of my own life. It was the shame I felt that kept me in the sins and the sinful lifestyles that I was leaving and living. It was when I received the truth that there was no longer any shame for me, that God had redeemed me from that through his son at the cross. That then I was able to rise up out of that, my friends. Shame is a heavy burden. So it goes on to say, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. All right, men. Here's the thing. I've always, I've heard a lot of guys blame this on Eve, but here's the problem. Okay. I'm going to try not to get into it because this isn't the main part of our, of our um, word today, but God did not actually give the command to Eve. He gave it to Adam. So Adam should have been the one to step in and intercept as soon as Eve misquoted God. She just misquoted God. And that also shows us like how well did Adam share the command that he had been given with Eve. Because remember, Adam was created first, right? He was created out of the dust of the ground and Eve was taken from, from his side. And when God gave the command, Eve had not been formed yet. So God gave the command to Adam. And listen, uh, this is what he actually said. And first of all, we all, I think we already read it. Also, it tells us that the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. That's in Genesis 2, chapter 9, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of life, my friends, what are we beholding? The tree of life was the true center, was the true center. And that was the tree that the Lord wanted them to eat from. And had they eaten from that tree, their eyes would have been open to know Jesus. Jesus himself tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible also tells us in Colossians that all things were made through him that were made and that he is the center of all and that everything is held together in him. So the tree of life was in the very center and that was the tree that God wanted them to eat from. But my friends, God had to give us free choice. He can't say that we have free choice if there is nothing to choose from. If everything is good and perfect, then we don't actually have free choice. But look at God's heart. It says that every tree was good to behold and good for food except one. There was only one, my friends. Adam and Eve were surrounded by more supply and more abundance and more goodness than they could have ever possibly used or needed. And the devil's trick, though, was to get their eyes off of all that they did have 
and look at that one teeny tiny little thing that they didn't have. And you know, my friends, that's why complaining is so dangerous. Complaining, taking things for granted, taking our loved ones for granted, that's exactly what we'll do. We'll get our eyes onto that one thing we don't have. And, and it's like we, we have horse blinders on to all the other goodness of God in our life. And that's where, my friends, the saving grace of gratitude of giving thanks, my friends. It is truly a saving grace because when you stop and look around and go, oh Lord, thank you for this tree. Oh, thank you for this fruit. Thank you for, for these almonds. Thank you for these cherries. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your eyes are so full of all that the Lord has done. You don't have room to be discontented. You don't have room to be tempted my friends. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Oh, God is so good. We're going down so many bunny trails. Okay. So we're talking about, uh, oh, so God never said they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat from it. And, and, and yeah. So then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, my friends, there's another problem here, isn't there? God had already made them like himself. The Bible tells us that. God had already made Adam and Eve in his own image. But again, the devil came and, and convinced them that they were lacking something. That there was something God left out. In other words, God's holding back. God's being stingy. See, in so few words, this is why we don't mess around, my friends. We don't mess around with the devil. And that's why we want to be full of the word of God in such a few short words. He completely twisted their perception of who God is. Made him look like he would hold back. Made him look like he was stingy. And not only that, he pricked man's pride. And pride is exactly why man doesn't like to hear about grace. Because grace is... I don't deserve anything, but everything I have and am and will be and will receive is a gift that I can only humbly receive from God. Pride says I have something to do with it. There is something in me that deserves a little bit of God's goodness. There's something in me that deserves to be treated well at my job. There's something in me that deserves to have a good life. There's something in me that deserves salvation. Just a little bit, maybe, Lord. Right? That's pride. And see, the devil pricked their pride, too, because they already were made like God, and that was a gift. They did nothing to make themselves in God's image. God did it. But the devil comes and tells them, hey, if you eat of this tree, hey, if you do this, then you'll be like God. And that fed to men's pride. Oh, I do this. And today, my friends, don't think we don't still struggle with it. Because when Adam sinned, his sin, right, tainted his blood, and we're born in the natural with that same blood. So his same shortcomings are still our same shortcomings. And I'm going to say something that you might not want to hear. And we'll just say the more irritated you get at me about it, um, the more true that it is. 
if you don't think you have a pride problem, right? Like the like there's a comedian that says, here's your signs. You've got a pride problem. If you aren't allowing the Lord to work humility into your heart, if you're not having occasions from time to time, and God doesn't beat us up, okay? But when you're in the word with him, he will correct. And you know what? I'll tell you how I am most often corrected about my pride is when I see the humility of Jesus. When I see that he, the one that has the only reason and every reason to be prideful, to demand, to say, respect me, laid down his life, gave up everything for me, allowed himself to be humiliated. My friends, that is when I see, wow, okay, I'm being irritated at this person. And the problem is really, I feel like they didn't respect me enough. But what about my Jesus? My friends, we all did that to him. We've all disrespected him. We've all failed to show him the honor that is due to him and his work and his name. And that is how the Lord most often corrects my pride. And it is a journey, right? It is a long journey. It's a journey that never stops this side of heaven. But there is progress. As, as Paul says in Philippians, we have an upward calling in the Lord. Amen. And it's, it's common to all men. And when you can see that and let that go too, right? It's like, yeah, there were a few years where it's like, really, Lord, we got to talk about this again? Like, I thought you got this, all this pride out of me, right? And then as time goes, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, there's still more pride to get out of me. Amen. And I'm so grateful for it and thankful for it. And the Lord wants to do that in your private time with him. He doesn't seek to make us look foolish or put us on a public spectacle. My friends, he made his son a public spectacle so that he does not do that to us today. Hallelujah. And you know what, my friends, we are going to have to stop right there. Um, yes, you know it. The Lord took us down so many wonderful bunny trails today uh, because he just knew what word each and every one of us needed to hear today, my friends. And his word is just so rich. He's so rich. He has so much goodness. Uh, so we are going to, to pick this up later, right? So join me in the next podcast. Thank you for being with me here. And you know what? I just, I just want you to know that there is, there is hope for us, right? God has given us, we're going to talk about this in our next podcast, that he has given to us double glory, double honor for the shame that each and every one of us brings into our own life, the shame that we deserve. He paid the price, my friends, to give us double honor and double glory. And we are going to get into that in the next podcast. So, so make sure you join me. And until then, my friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you his peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare, amen, amen, amen. All right, y'all, till next time, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.